You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. How we doing, church? That's the high schoolers, by the way. That's fun. That's exciting. Apparently, I work with student ministry. Awesome. Okay. So pumped and, so pumped and excited you guys are here with us this morning. I want to personally welcome you back from spring break to this thing we call responsibility and stress. Good luck with that as we move forward for the progression of the next year. I just wish the weather would get a little bit nicer, right? I feel like you're not allowed to call it spring without nicer weather, but whatever. I'm excited today. I'm so grateful to join you. We've got some cool volunteers that are helping make middle school happen right now. I'll let you in on a little insider. We gave them the absolute messiest game on the planet today. And I don't even have to clean it up. It's the best feeling on the planet. However, if you are a parent of a middle schooler in this room, there's a disclaimer. If your kid is like doing okay or excited about life, but they smell funky, like more than the funky that they would normally smell, right? It's middle school. Let's... They may or may not have played a game with raw eggs and lost. <laughs> so as they get in the car today, just, just go with it, right? Just let it happen. Be okay with it, right? I, I'm so pumped and excited to be hanging out with you guys today. If you have a Bible, we're gonna encourage you guys to grab that, to open it up to Luke chapter five. We're gonna be in five verses, Luke chapter five, verse 12 to verse 16. It'll be on the screens. If you don't have a Bible, that's totally okay. You'll join in with us. But I, I wanna say it this way. I believe that these five verses are extraordinarily profound. I truly believe that these five verses, though they may not feel like it at first as we read through them, have the ability to change your life. I truly do. If you will go with me on this journey, I can promise you this, you will gain some information, you will learn some stuff, and we're gonna kick it a little old school. We're gonna read the verses here, and then we're gonna break them down one by one just to kinda go through it and see what Jesus has in store for us. So, Luke chapter five, right? Luke chapter five, let's get into this. Y'all ready? All right, let's do it. Verse 12, it says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet to the news about him, about Jesus, it spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Let's pray. God, let your word dig deep roots in us today. Let it be living and active in our lives. Let it shine in the depths of our darkness and bring hope to our despair. Cleanse us from the inside. Give us a genuine light to shine to the world and let us love unhindered. Break down barriers that keep others from knowing you. It's in Jesus' name that we all pray. Everybody says? 
Amen. So let's break this down. Let's go little by little. Here we go. In verse 12, it says, Jesus is in one of the towns. Now, in pastoral fashion, I'm going to pause right there. We got like four words in, right? Anyway, Jesus is in one of the towns. And I love this because we don't get much detail. If you were here with us last week, and if you're not, that's fine. You can go back and watch it. Pastor Matt talked about the calling of the two different sets of brothers to become disciples, right? And he says that there were a large crowds gathered around them, and so they went fishing. They went fishing at night. What this tells us is in the next verses, they are no longer fishing. Ta-da! They are now in one of the towns, which means at some point they got off the Sea of Galilee and they are now in town. That's pretty simple, pretty self-explanatory. But it says that a man came along who was covered and leprosy. This is a big deal. This is a big, big deal. It's hard for us sometimes to interpret it. We're gonna walk through this a little bit. But leprosy was a unique disease. Those who suffered from it, they didn't just bear affliction and pain from the disease itself. They also had to deal with the bitter social outcast and rejection that came with it as well. See, leprosy is described in scripture, comes in multiple forms, right? If it's a skin disease, it didn't mean it was just a certain variation. Today, we might look at leprosy and call it Hansen's disease, and in its early stages, it's curable, right? It isn't really uh, something that can be passed along very easily. It's something that takes a lot of difficulty to pass it on to somebody else. But leprosy, as we read here, is multiple forms. It's not just Hansen's disease, And we find that these types of things, this leprosy specifically, comes from living in very unsanitary conditions. And if you go to different parts of the world, you'll still see some versions, variations of leprosy existing today. Anyone having a skin disease was to go to the priest for examination. This is law. Like, this is what they have to do. This is required. You go back to Leviticus chapter 13, chapter 14. You can read through it and start to understand it. But they were to go to the priest for examination. Your fate was not in the hands of the priest. Your fate was in the law. The law governed how the priest should function, what they should do, how they should deal with it. Early on in chapter 13, you find that if there are certain situations, maybe they need to be quarantined, and then you look at it again here in a few more days to see what that looks like. There's different options, and the priest would make it to where you were either clean, you were good to go, you could live your life as it was, or you were unclean. And they did this with all kinds of foods. It was just to be the best for God, right? To be the best you can for God. But in this moment, it has to deal with a person. And in this moment, specifically, there is a man who, as it is stated, was covered in leprosy. You go to Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 and 46, it says this. This is what somebody who is conditioned by the priest is unclean. This is what happens to them. Anyone with such a defiling disease, leprosy, must wear torn clothes. I think it's popular today, but... Whatever. It says, let their hair be unkempt, which means it's let down. You can't put it up. It says, cover the lower parts of their face. And they have to cry out, unclean, unclean, when somebody gets close to them. And in verse 46, it says, as long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. A leper, this leper, was pronounced unclean, vanished outside the city walls. 
Whatever they did for a living, it doesn't matter anymore. It's gone, it's done. Whoever they associated with, their family, their connections, their relationships, they're gone. They don't have it anymore. It's all cut off from them. They are unfit for human connection and relationship. And they were either left to get better or they were left to die of their uncurable disease. Not only that, but they would be in a camp full of other people who were considered unclean. They would be associated and in connection with potentially other things beyond leprosy. It's really hard for somebody to get better in these moments. To add to that, they were required by law that if somebody was coming up to them, they had to shout, unclean, unclean. The religious leaders of the day created more rules around this scripture for parameters both for those who had leprosy and those who were going to potentially encounter somebody with leprosy. It made the livelihood of the leper even harder and it's unique, right? So the the first one that we read, that we find of the, the laws that they had to follow is that people couldn't come within four cubits, that's six feet of a person who had leprosy. I think Over the last few years, we've started to understand what six feet is like. Even crazier to me than that is this one. If the wind is blowing and you're downwind from a leper, you can't get within 100 cubits of them, 150 feet, right? 150 feet, you couldn't be close to them. You couldn't be anywhere close to them. There was no cure. And history teaches us that leprosy is a slow-killing disease. This isn't something that you died within six months or eight months, it took you. No, 20 to 30 years you had to work and walk through this. It is not an easy disease. I, I I I would describe it to you or maybe even show you photos, but I, I, I beg that there are probably a few people in here that can't stomach it. It's not pretty. It, it deals with your nerves at first, right? And so you lose sensation. And then over time, your skin starts to, there's not a good word, puss up, whatever. And then over time, you start to lose your limbs. You just watch it happen because it's dealt with your nervous system, the pain goes. It's hard to see. The only thing more defiling that we find in scripture than encountering a leper, somebody who's clean, than encounter somebody who's unclean, was to come into contact with a dead body. We look at this and we recognize, this is a big deal. It says, a man came along who was covered in leprosy. It's a massive deal, so let's keep reading. When he saw Jesus, when the leper saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you look at the way this man is functioning, he's covered in leprosy, he's approaching Jesus. For him, you recognize that there is no improving his situation. He cannot do it on his own, he needs Jesus. It's the only thing that will fix his situation. Right, he was putting himself, he was putting Jesus, he was putting the disciples and the other people that were around him at risk because he's technically breaking the law to approach him. So he's approaching Jesus. And what I, what I recognize about this passage is it says he fell with his face to the ground and begged him. And I'll say this, church. Your posture with Jesus matters. 
Your posture with Jesus matters. Every single person in this room, we have to recognize this. Scripture tells us that we are all sinners, that we all fall short of God's glory, that it is Jesus the one who saves, not us, that it is his grace and his mercy and his kindness that allows us to have the position that we have and to sit where we sit and to live the way we live. You gotta recognize some very unique things, that Jesus is what creates this all to be at the center in the first place. So if you're the person in this room that has your life that's all well established, you've got everything figured out, everything's under control, you're good to go, your family's good to go, everything's good to go, Jesus is trying to help you understand that it requires you giving up that control to follow him. That it's about him. And that everything that he has purposed you with and given to you, it is to use for the kingdom, for the glory. For those of us in the room that need all the facts, we need all the data, all the information. We have to, to test it all to figure out how it works and how it doesn't work. Faith is necessary to follow God. To many of us in this room that are faith only, your kingdom work matters. We can't just sit and consume the gospel. We actually have to go and be the gospel. You have to go live it out. You have to be intentional with what Jesus has given you. We are trying to become more like Jesus, which requires us to look at our posture, the way that we approach him. For some of us, we're stagnant. We've been doing this Jesus thing for a while, and maybe we could associate this even to a point where like, you don't have a non-Christian friend in your life. You don't know somebody that needs Jesus. And Jesus is trying to call you into a world to see his wonder, to see his amazement, to, he, to see his beauty and to show the world exactly who he is through your lifestyle. Church, your growth matters. It's time to get back into God's word. It's time to get into groups and make connections and start to live life with a purpose and with an intentionality. It's time to help us understand that our posture towards Jesus in every circumstance and situation, it matters. And on and on it goes. It's time to get involved in the life of our church. It's time to volunteer for our student ministry. <clears throat> that one came out, sorry. This man is prostrate, face down, and he's crying out to God because he recognizes that it is Jesus that is the only one that can save him. And what I love about this conversation is that he, he says this word, he says Kyrios, it's, it's, it's the word God. He calls him God. Kyrios is the word that we use when we translate the Old Testament in the Hebrew to Greek, when we translate any word that's Yahweh or Adonai, is Kyrios. He looks at Jesus, he says, Lord, God, if you are willing, willing, you can heal me. I love that this leper has no doubt that Jesus was God and he could do the work of God. My hope for all of us is that we can see the posture of this man and it can help us recognize the posture we need to have towards Jesus as well. You wanna get back to the basics. Change your posture towards Jesus. Check out verse 13, it says, Jesus, he reached out his hand, 
and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him. All right, let me state this. Jesus touched him. Like he touched him. Jesus touched him. I feel like there's a little tension, and the reason is because I feel like many of us in this room don't truly recognize what that might be like. So let's, let's, I'm not gonna put photos up because I don't wanna do that, but I want you to mentally picture the worst bathroom you've ever been in in your life. Worst, absolute worst. Most disgusting. I don't even wanna describe that because that gets gross. This is worse. This is worse. And according to the law, he he can't necessarily be six feet from or 150 feet from. It's not like Jesus bent down, grabbed some grains of sand to see if the wind was blowing, licked his finger to tell where the wind was coming from so he could be upwind from him. He wasn't putting on his latex gloves. He didn't even look at the man and be like, where's the most unclean and then where's the most clean part I can touch? He didn't do that. It says he immediately jumped to action. He touched the man and said, I am willing I am willing. We just talked about the six feet. We've had to deal with some of that for the last few years. Putting people at distance. Jesus didn't stop or hesitate for a moment. He was not processing anywhere how close he was. He just loved him where he was. I know some of you guys in this room, <laughs> maybe, maybe a little germ, germ, not so germ, don't like germs, leave the germs alone. I don't know what to call you. I don't wanna state that. We love you too. But you're looking at Jesus like, oh, oh come on, man. That's not okay. Can't do that. You shouldn't do that. Don't do that. No, Jesus, we're gonna, you and I have to talk because that's Gross. For some of us in this room, like we live in a world where like we're gonna pull the hand sanitizer, we just feel gross, so we're gonna, you know, put some on the hands and make it a little better. Jesus doesn't do any of that. He loves him where he is. He goes up to the leper, he touches him with his hands, and he immediately cleanses him of leprosy. That's crazy to me, y'all. It's crazy to me. You've got a leper who's breaking the law. breaking the law, to approach Jesus or to approach any type of humanity as an unclean person. And then you've got Jesus who's bending the rules. I'm gonna leave that sermon for Matt for another day. Good luck with that, Matt. To show love and compassion to somebody. And then it goes on in verse 14. He gives them what he's supposed to do. He says, Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone. But go show yourself to the priests, offer the sacrifices of Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So first we read, don't tell anybody. And oftentimes when I read texts like this in scripture, it feels almost counterintuitive, right? We're supposed to be on mission. We're supposed to be pushing the gospel forward and teaching everybody and anybody you can think of about it. But in this moment, Jesus tells this guy, don't do that. Why would he say that? 
Why would he give us some type of argument against pushing the gospel forward? And I very quickly recognize that there's a parallel text to this, which means other authors wrote about the same circumstance and scenario. Mark chapter one, verse 45, if I can English today, says, instead he, the leper, went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. So when the leper told Jesus the story of healing, guess what? Everybody wants to get healed. They're focused on Jesus being a miracle man. They're not focused on the gospel or the good news spreading that God has come to earth and things are about to change again. His words don't get out. His miracles do. Jesus in this moment was trying to protect his message from people who just wanted to abuse his healing. It's unique to me to read these kinds of words, but he goes on to say, show yourself to the priest. Offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded you for cleansing as a testimony to them. So we read Luke, or not Luke, we reread, pause. We read Leviticus chapter 13, a little bit of it, dealing with what to do with an unclean or a clean person. Leviticus chapter 14, the next chapter, talks about what somebody who is unclean needs to do to become clean again. There's literally a process by which they have to go through. It's not like Jesus can walk up to him, heal him, and then that guy can just go back to what he was doing. He can go back to his job, he can go back to his family, everything, he can't do that. It's not the way that it works. You have to go through the process. Why, because coming clean is always a process. It's always a process. How many of us have overcome an addiction or a situation or a difficulty or a struggle in those moments? We recognize that it is a daily process to get to that. It doesn't just get healed overnight. So you look at Leviticus chapter 14, it talks all about the different things that have to happen. They go through the home, they go over him and his body to make sure everything is clean and unclean. They even go over the garments that he, he would be wearing to figure out what garments are clean or unclean in this moment, it's eight days. What's it gotta be like to know that you're healed? To know that you are a few days away from being back to where you were again? There's such a powerful statement in that. That's why at the end of that he says, as a testimony to them. This is a testimony to the priest. Not People didn't just get leprosy, and then all of a sudden go back to the priest who cleansed, or who, who declared him unclean, and say, oh, look, ta-da, I'm healed. This was a testimony to the priest themselves in the process. It's a beautiful moment, but it's not only a process, or it's not only a testimony to the priest, but it's also to restore his life. And restoration takes time, because coming clean takes time. In verse 15, it says, yet the news about Jesus spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. This is pretty self-explanatory. When you do good work, when Jesus does good work, people recognize it, they notice it, they come to connect with him. In verse 16, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. When you've done good work for the Lord, there is no better rest than rest in the Lord. So why does it all matter? What's the purpose, what's the point of this for me? I don't have leprosy. There's two main characters in this text today. There's a leper 
and there's Jesus. We, all in this room, we are the leper. We're the leper. Judas Smith, the pastor out on the West Coast, said in his book, Life Is, he says, I am that man. And dare I say it, you are that man. I believe Jesus is saying, you think this external disease is bad? You have far worse on the inside. Your diabolical disease is eating you alive. It's called sin. And you're dying. And you need to be given new life. This leper represents all of us. But more so, I feel really connected to this because a leper was outcast. And many times in my life, I have felt that. Right? I've learned over time that sin is infectious, it's dangerous, it's debilitating. Sometimes we see it in our lives, sometimes we don't. It stirs up anxiety in us, it creates chaos in our minds, it isolates us and creates barriers with us and the ones that we love. Sin in our lives puts us in a place where we are slowly dying without Jesus. And only Jesus can change that in our lives. We learn from the leper that our posture towards him matters, that it takes time, right, to go through the process and become clean again. And we're living in a world that places a higher value on literally anything else but Jesus. That he knows. And he says, Lord, if you're willing, guys, we gotta get up every day recognizing our worldly faults and failures and live in the glory of Jesus. Of the things that we're gonna celebrate this coming Sunday at Easter, that, that death has no victory because Jesus is king. We are this man. Everybody, every person in human existence is this man outside of Jesus. I, I, I tell you, again, I, I've struggled I recognize this. I've felt like the outcast my whole life. Why? Because I like to break the status quo. I like to, to, to carve my own path. I like to push back. I like to challenge things. I'm the type of person that will naturally dig my heels in when we're trying to shift things or move things. Not all the time, but just when I don't fully understand. I've been the type of person that has walked alongside different types of people in their, in their hurts, in their struggles, and I recognize and I feel that. I, it took me seven years to get a four-year Bible college degree because my personal life got in the way of Jesus. It's the way it happens. Why does it matter? Because I resonate with this story. I haven't always gotten it right. I haven't always known what to do. I haven't always figured out the best formula or the perfect example or been the shining, uh, the knight in shining armor for everybody. I, I love it when people are like, you're such a good role model. I'm like, whoa, if you only knew. I'm not a horrible human being. I'm just saved by the grace of Jesus. Let Jesus be the role model. If you in this room, you resonate with that, Maybe you're waiting on God to answer something and you're still struggling in your hurt. I feel you. Maybe you've been hurt by a, another Christian or the church 
as they've done their best to love you, but they didn't do a good enough job and you're sitting in the weight of that. I want you to hear me very clearly say that it's okay to be lost. Jesus loves you through it. It's okay to struggle with trust. He's still there with you. And if anything else fails, you need to hear that Jesus loves you and he wants a relationship with you. I am a firsthand experience that God's word has the power to change your life. Yeah. And even when it doesn't all make sense, even when some of your questions go unanswered, Jesus still loves you and he wants to get to know you. When you recognize like the leper that you are lost without Jesus, that something has to change and you potentially wanna figure out what it takes to build your life on that, he's willing to work with you. He's willing to go through you, with you, through the struggles. He knows you're gonna need support, that's why we have a church. He knows that you're gonna fall sometimes, that's why we're here to help. I want to encourage you, if that's you today, not to leave this room without trying to figure it out or have a conversation with somebody. It is the most rewarding and most challenging thing that I've ever done and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And to everyone else in the room, we have Jesus left. He represents Christians and church, I think it's time to have a family meeting. I think it's time to have a family meeting where we call everybody to the table and we recognize what we represent, what we're supposed to be doing in this world, how we're supposed to be living in this world. Every day, we are to die to ourselves. We're to pick up our crosses and to follow after Jesus, to be like him, to act like him, to love like him, he represents us. We represent him to the world. We're supposed to imitate him. We're supposed to mirror him to be an example to everyone we come into contact. That means when we meet somebody that's messy, we meet them in their mess. We love them despite their flaws. It means you care about them regardless of their circumstances or situations. That you want what's best for them even if that means it's a difficult road ahead. It means helping them get through uh, the, the life that they're working through, the difficulty that they're walking through, help them to get back on a right path with Jesus again. He's a restorer. He didn't burn a bridge here with this leper. He intentionally built one. He's not condemning the unclean man for approaching him. He's confirming his decision and even puts his hands on him. To every sinner on the planet, Jesus loves you and I love you too. To any hater that exists in the world, Jesus loves you and I love you too. To anyone who rejects the name of Jesus, he still loves you and I love you too. To all of my enemies who want me to fail, who want me to fall, he loves you and I love you too. To love your neighbor as yourself, you must love a sinner where they are. To love your enemies, you have to love a sinner as they are. Accountability comes at the foot of the cross, not at the terms we as Christians create. 
John 3.16 is probably the most famous Bible verse in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that anyone who believes in him, they won't perish, they'll have eternal life. John 3.17 follows that and it says very clearly that God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world but to save it through him. The world stands condemned already. Christians, stop making it worse. We have a duty to love people. The world is full of trouble. Why are we shocked by that? Jesus told us it was gonna happen. He said, take heart, because I've overcome it. So, so we lean into him when things are hard. Why are we condemning people for what they think for what they look like, for what they live like, or what they act. Jesus loves them and wants to have a relationship with them. If they are not governed by the biblical principle that is set in your life, that's okay. That means that they don't have to live to the same standard you do, but you still love them. You still love them. The world doesn't need a Jesus that hates and hurts because that's what they receive from believers. They need a Jesus that says, I love you and I want a relationship with you. When his words aren't a lamp unto my feet, when they aren't a light unto my path, we will be prone to wander and lose our way. See, the darkness oftentimes in my own life creeps in. Right, we lose sight of God's way in what we do and how we live, and then all of a sudden we become consumers, become consumers, if I can say that right, and never step into the work in which he has prepared for us in advance to do. Church, we've gotta be careful because God, if we're not careful, becomes a checkbox, not a lifestyle. It's time for us to change things. People will work around you, they'll see right through it. So let me ask you this question. Does the Jesus you portray to the world look like the Jesus in this text? Does he look like the Jesus in this text? We gotta do better, church. It's time to get back right again, to be the Jesus the world needs. It's time we actively live out the Jesus that the Bible shows us. This Jesus, the one who's willing to get his hands dirty or be seen differently to show love to someone that's not like him. It's living out unconditional love. Our mission statement here at Kingsway is to become more like Jesus. So how in the world do you do that? I love Andy Stanley, he's a, a pastor on the east side in Atlanta, and he says this. He says, do for one what you wish you could do for many. Love well. You don't have to be perfect. You're gonna mess up. We're all gonna mess up. That's okay. But we continue to fall into the grace of God. We get up the next morning and we say, my bad. Let's get this right again. Let's do this better. Let's make the most of it. Let's put Jesus at the center of our lives. Do for one what you wish you could do for many. And I would add to that, and if you have margin, do it again. Do it again. Do it again, do it again, over and over and over again. Represent Jesus to the world. Bob Goff, he, he's a, a writer and he's got this fantastic book. He's like my spirit animal because he's this like lawyer dude who's just like crazy fun and exciting. I wanna be him. But anyway, in his book, Everybody Always, he says, here's the simple message Jesus has for us. If we fill our bucket with love, we can actually become love. Like actually do that. Love can happen in our world. If we fill our bucket with him, if we fill our bucket with who he is, 
And he goes on to say, people don't need more information. They want examples. God wants to use people like us to show the world what we know about Jesus by having them see the way we love the people around us. God has used a lot of messy, messy people to tell his redemptive story to the world. Don't let that be lost on you. It's your turn. It's our turn to love people well, no matter how you come into contact with them. The good news of Jesus Christ is that you can build the foundations of your life on him and he will change your life just like he did this leper. And what's crazy about Jesus is that oftentimes he doesn't just change your life, he changes the life of the people around you. As Matt spoke last week, Jesus is showing us. He says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And right now, Jesus is in the next step of that. He's actually showing them what it looks like to, to, to fish, but fish for people, and that's weird to say. But fishing for people takes a ton of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you've ever been to a wedding, you probably heard it. Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast. Not rude, not proud, keeps no records of wrongs, it keeps going over and over and over, and guess what? It wasn't written for weddings. It was written for us to understand what it truly looks like to love. Maybe today, the one homework you need is to go read the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and understand what that love looks like. It's messy, it's not perfect. We're humans, we're gonna be prone to fail and wander. But let us be captivated by Jesus every day. Jesus went on to tell his disciples that their greater love is none than this and you lay one, your life down for one's friend. And then Jesus says, I have called you friends. He's literally like my grandma, he friended everybody. He loves you, he wants a relationship with you. He goes on to tell his disciples that all men the world will know that you follow me by the way that you love one another. Church, I believe that Jesus loved this leper in a way that no one else could have. He changed his life forever. And he called you to go do that in the lives of people that you are near. So just as the leper said, Lord, if you're willing, church, Church, if you're willing, will you love well? Will you love well? Will you represent Jesus well to this world? Here's what I'm gonna do. Hey, everybody, why don't we stand up, stand up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray here in just a second. but I'm gonna invite you to understand this. If God is stirring in your heart, it's for a reason. It's not to, to, to be void and just to walk away and do nothing with it. It's to make change happen. Because if we all change, if we all learn, if we all grow, we figure this thing out together, we become the body of Christ unified to love the lost. 
well. So church, if you need to repent of, of your version of Jesus, I encourage you to do that today. For some of us in this room, if you resonate with the outcast, with the leper, if you're waiting for a response or for an answer, if you, if you want more from God, but you just don't know what that is, or maybe you haven't taken that step to truly live out that calling in your life, and you don't know where to start, let that be today. We've got people down here that would love to have a conversation with you to help you grow and become more like Jesus. Let's pray. God, it is in this moment that we fall back to you. Let your words dig deep roots in us today. Let it have, let it be living and active in our lives. Let it shine in the depths of our darkness, bring hope to our despair. Cleanse us from the inside. Give us a genuine light to shine to the world. Let us love unhindered and break down barriers that keep others from knowing you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen.